to be Morris Marshall's home where he grew up down near Pine Grove Cemetery. <coughs> and in his youth, Tom worked for Jim. Now, here was uh, this young um, fellow that came from this devout Catholic family uh, who went to work for Jimmy Austin uh, and um, learned every word that there was in the off-color dictionary and so forth and so on. But to this day, will tell you all kinds of funny situations and things. Jimmy had a sense of humor and, you know, shrug his shoulders and go off. Uh, you know, one of the things he told about was, um, let's see, um, gas build or something and the um, power saw, the, the chainsaw, caught on fire. And I think it was in the truck. And he says, "Ah, the hell with it. The truck is old anyway." So I just walked off and left the whole thing. I mean, it, you know, I mean, I know that I can believe that of Jimmy. Uh, my cousin, um, that's another one. Of my aunt Miriam's kids. I forgot Paul. Um, so she, they had six all together. <clears throat> Paul died young, just before his twenty-first birthday, just before his child was born. His wife became a wife. Uh, a widow and a mother in that order in less than a year. And, um, you know, so it, it, it was a pretty tough thing. And it, it was a, he was the youngest, and it was a very tough thing for my Aunt Miriam uh, when he died. Uh, uh, Jimmy liked Paul. And um, I've heard since that Paul had some of the attitude uh, that Jimmy had, you know, disrespect for women and, and, you know, some of that type of stuff. Uh, Paul had it. I can believe it. Um, he was um, born 1950, the same year that I got married, because um, we had a wedding reception at my aunt Miriam's house, and uh, Paul was a baby, and they brought him down to show him off. Uh, you know, I, I can remember that. But um, for years afterwards, and probably up to pretty close to the time that Jim got sick and died, every year there were flowers on Paul's grave. You know, I mean, uh, he was rough and tough, and uh, you didn't want to pick an argument with him unless you were doggone sure where you stood, and even then, if he said you were wrong, you were wrong, and you just better admit it, and, you know, not, uh, you know, the, the joke was that if you went down Austin Road, you know, you, you better be armed and, or and driving a tank or something, you know, because the, the Klan would uh, take care of you if uh, they didn't like you, and, um, you know, they, they, that was just folklore. But um, I went so they had memorial service at the grave for him when he died. I went, and I didn't see the book. I signed it. I didn't see it, so to know who was there. But I stood there fairly close, and I think that I was the only person out of our Brookline Grammar School graduating class. Of course, some of them had moved away, but I think I was the only one that was there. And I felt badly about that uh, because for all of his roughness and, and so forth, uh, you had to admire him for coming home from the service, staying in his hometown, and earning his living there. 
you know, doing what he liked to do and not knuckling under to somebody else, which he was not good at doing. And I you know somebody that moved into Brookline fairly recently said something to me a couple of years ago. Um, well, I guess it was when the bell ringer thing came up. Yeah. And they say, well, you know, all these people that lived in Brookline all their life, they think they own the place and they can tell us what to do and blah, 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 and so on and so forth. And uh, I picked her up right up and I said, you know, those people have lived in this town for generations. And they could have, they had what it took if they wanted to, to go someplace to the big city and uh, get a super duper education or whatever and um, do what you think is um, something special. And I said, those people are to be commended because they were born in this town and sometimes their parents and their grandparents were born in this town or moved into this town and they have all at least for three generations, made their living in this town and paid their taxes to this town. Those people have a say more than you do. That was my answer to that one. I wish I could have seen her expression. <laughs> she backed down a little bit. <laughs> you know, uh, <clears throat> before you leave the grammar, I call it the grammar school, what do you call it? Uh, the elementary school. The elementary school. You, I remember you telling me your dad worked on that building. Yeah, my. Uh, there was um, an enlarged basement uh, with uh, space on both sides for girls and boys, uh, a flush toilet, which uh, Fred Hall objected to tremendously. Most of them don't have a flush toilet at home. What the hell do they need one in school for? Um, <laughs> I mean, that was his attitude. Uh, of course, um, today it, it would be verboten but um, it was always my understanding that his flush toilet uh, flowed into Nissatissip River, you know, and it was okay, so he, he was a real great guy. Uh, but um, my father was WPA, and uh, he worked on that uh, project. And um, I can't remember whether it was Wesley Gilson, who would have been Grover Fowl senior's father-in-law was the head of the project or not. And they were getting in a small town, you know, one hand greases the other. You have the nepotism and it, it, it just is the way things are. Uh, but whoever was appointed the head of it, my father tried to, you know, get a, uh, you know, a higher paid job and uh, didn't get it. But they had to come to him to figure out how to put in a set of stairs and measure for the stringers and you know the, all of the stuff and everything else. But I, I can remember that was a, quite an improvement because now we had some place to go on rainy days or bad days in the wintertime besides out there sliding the seat of our, out of our <laughs> snow pants and uh, getting cold and wet. You know, in my later life, I have felt so sorry for the teachers that we used to have. You know, first grade teachers. They would bundle us all up and send us out for recess and lunch hour. And we would get sopping, soaking wet, come back in, have to get unbundled, and then um, the heat was hot water, uh, hot air. We had a big square, like three foot square registers uh, down at the front of the room. And if you got wet, uh, you took the little uh, movable chairs that we had for a reading group and you sat around there and you put your feet on the thing and you got dried off. You know? And I often think, you know, those teachers, um, 
you know, they had to be saints because it was a whole lot that they had to put up with and do besides just teaching us something. You know, uh, it, it, they, they really were uh, marvelous. But yeah, my father did work on that, and it, it was uh, quite an improvement. And now we had place that we could play and that we could, you know, uh, bounce the ball down there without getting into trouble. Uh, we could jump rope uh, out of season and so forth. And um, I can remember we uh, had a, a jump rope contest, and this was individual, you know, swinging the rope and, and jumping and see who could jump the most jumps without missing. I got it. I think it was 232, something like that. Uh, I can't remember the exact number. And Jean Gay was the, the next one up. She was pretty close. You know. But um, it, it, it was, uh, you know, a friendly competition because she lived next door to me. But, um, you know, it, it, it was um, interesting that we could now have this space. Well, all right. Well, then you, after fifth grade, moved down to the Daniels, Daniels Academy, six through eight. Six through eight. Uh, how many classes? One class? Three. Yeah, three. three six, seventh, and eight. Separated. One room. One room. Oh, no, there were seven. One, one room. One, one teacher. teacher taught the whole three of us. And I can remember being a little leery about moving down there for two reasons. Uh, Alice Willett had been the teacher, you know, a local gal uh, related to um, yeah, Barnaby's because um, Anna Barnaby was a Willett. Um, she was very strict. In fact, um, I've been told that uh, she took Bentley Fowl down one day, and Bentley Fowl was no small piece of humanity. You know, I mean, uh, he, he was a big boy. But I uh, also what were the circumstances of that? I don't know uh, okay. what he did, but she took him down, and um, you know, I, I was still up at the other school, so I, I don't know. But uh, and uh, I, I was a little leery going down. I behaved myself in school because I figured it was the easiest way to get along, but um, I was a little leery of uh, going down there because she was so strict. Well, I don't know whether she retired or went someplace else, but anyway, when I went down into the sixth grade, uh, I had something that concerned me even more. Uh, my first man teacher, Walter Lemure from uh, Manchester. And uh, I didn't know just how I was going to take to a man teacher. I had never had one before. And uh, he was fabulous. Uh, he played football, touch football with the boys. And uh, I can remember uh, he read to us. Uh, our first uh, teacher we had in first and second grade read to us, too. And uh, one of the stories that she used to read was about E. Pandemondus. Um, but he, he read uh, different things to us, and one of the things that uh, he was reading to us was um, Paul Bunyan. And um, because there were so many titters came from the older kids, I was in sixth grade then, um, and the eighth graders, you know, were tittering away, uh, he had to skip the part that tells about how big the dung heap was from, you know, Babe the Big Blue Ox and so forth. You know, and so, but, uh, God, all this stuff just keeps flooding back. Um, he was good. Then, um, let's see, must, seventh and eighth grade, I must have had the same teacher, which was Marguerite O'Neill from Melford. Uh, she was a, a, a good woman, and she meant well. She had no discipline over us whatsoever, none whatsoever. 
when um, I went to one of the historical meetings, Lauren Quimby and I were comparing notes, and she she just could not control us. And um, we were allowed to go and sit in the balcony and listen to town meeting. Town meeting in those days was held uh, during the day. And, um, you know, this was part of what your civics thing was, you know. You went and you listened to town meeting. And the town meeting and the school meeting, you know, it was all one thing rolled into one behind the other, whatever. And they voted not to ask her back for the next year, so us kids went back, and I don't know who it was, but somebody spilled the beans to her, so <laughs> that's how she found out she wasn't going to teach the next year. <laughs> yeah, which, uh, you know, was kind of sad, but uh, that's the way it was. And when I was in the elementary school, Harold Bales, for whom the Bales School in Milford is named, was our superintendent. When I was in the second grade, the teacher wanted to double promote me, and uh, my mother talked to him about it, and he said he had been double promoted when he was a kid, and it didn't do him any favors, so he, he would not double promote a child. And considering the kids that I went to school with and graduated with against the class next above me, I'm just as well happy that I was with the kids that I was with. Um, and then we had Harold Bowley, and uh, he was the superintendent of schools. And he was superintendent of schools um, when I went to high school in Milford. Now, I graduated from Milford High School. My brother, who was two years younger, uh, had to go to Nashua. Uh, for, they changed. Uh, in a way, I wish I had gone to Nashua. I would have you know, had more extensive courses and so forth. But um, I enjoyed Milford High School. Uh, my mother wanted me to take what they called the academic course in those days so that you could get into college. And, uh, and she also wanted me to take home economics. Home economics was a double period. And you took one or the other. And Mr. Bowley informed her that I was not brilliant enough to carry the extra course. So I did not. And, of course, the next year it's too late to get into it. But um, I brought home uh, that year uh, I forget whether it was four A averages or three and one B. But um, You could have done just fine. I would have done just fine, and it would have kept me out of mischief. Um, you know, I, I tried. Um, but um, then when uh, I got into my senior year. I'd had algebra the first year, uh, plain geometry the second year. Third year, you had half a year of second year algebra, and then you had a quarter of um, trig and um, a little calculus and um, solid geometry. So that I, I never got into solid geometry enough to really understand what I was doing. Um, you just didn't have enough. Well, there were five of us that wanted to take some kind of an advanced mathematics course. And the teacher we had was Ray Palmori, who was one of the most fantastic people, teachers, that God ever put on the face of this earth. He was absolutely wonderful. I still know a lot 
of math that's the kind of stuff that you forget over the years but that will come back to me I still know how the way I put money in my wallet is the way Ray Pomeroy told us taught us to take care of money the and the way I do a lot of other things is the way Ray Pomeroy taught us to do it and a few years ago, one of the kids that graduated with me that uh, lived in Milford said, you know, he never could understand why he had to take algebra. You know, he wasn't going to be a mathematician, and what was he ever going to use that junk for? And I said, Russell, if nothing else, algebra teaches you to think. You take a starting point and you go forward or backward. It's x plus x minus x times x divided by whatever. It teaches you logical thinking, which in the computer age is the way it's all done. Computer is logic. And, um, you know, I always was thankful that uh, we had that. Anyway, we, there were five kids that wanted music appreciation, and the music teacher was willing to teach that, and of course Ray was willing to teach math, and so they had music appreciation, and I'm all for music appreciation, but that, you know, that math, extra year of math, because we only had three years of math. The kids that took the general course took general mathematics the first year, then they took algebra, geometry, and advanced math the other years. They had on their resumes four years of math, which they didn't go any further than we did, but they had four years of math and we only had three. That's too bad. And, you know, that that, that always bothered me. Uh, I remember you saying that you always liked uh, to be able to say you went to uh, Daniel's Academy. Right. Uh, whenever um, I fill out a job application, and, um, and I have filled some out in the last ten years that want to know the marks I got in grammar school which, uh, you know, I, I think is asinine, but I guess the young people change uh, so often and so forth, and maybe they're looking for some kind of a trail that says that you applied yourself all your life. I, I don't know what they're looking for, but anyway. Um, so when they um, want to know, uh, you know, where I graduated from, I put Daniel's Academy. You know, I mean, <laughs> That sounds pretty good, you know, Phillips Exeter, whatever, you know, I mean, <laughs> here it is, and it's Brookline. But going to a school where for the first eight school years of my life, I was in a classroom where there was at least one more class that was reciting at the same time that I was supposed to be studying, I think helped a whole lot with my concentration. Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, how about uh, other memorable personalities of your age school bunch? Okay, um, Clarence Corey, of course, is one. Um, his father uh, was Harry. I can't remember what his mother's name was. What did uh, Harry do? I, um, I don't remember anything Harry did outside of being my mailman okay. uh, when I was a kid. And um, what was Clarence like? Uh, it was uh, Clarence's father. What was Clarence like? What was Clarence like? Clarence was very shy, um, very bashful. All you had to do was say two words for him, and you could just see the, the crimson creep, creep up from his neck right up over the top of his head, and he was toe-headed. And um, Where did they live? Uh, they lived, okay, Daniel's Academy, 
and you go down toward the center of town. Now there's a house there now, and that used to be just a bunch of sheds, and then they were the uh, big house that was there before the brook. That's, uh, that's where they lived. And, and that's um, on the, um, if you're going towards town, toward the center, that's on the uh, right-hand side. Uh, that's where they lived. Uh, there was uh, Bernice, uh, who was um, the, I'm pretty sure she was the oldest girl. Um, then there was Helen, and uh, Bernice married Johnny Town from Mount Vernon. I'm pretty sure he was from either Mount Vernon or New Boston. Bernice married Alden Center, who was in school with us, and they were the kids that came down from South Lineboro. They used to ride the Boston to Maine bus down every morning, get there at an ungodly hour, and then you know ride the bus back because you know they they wanted. Evidently, Milford had more to offer in the high school than Wilton did, and they, they wanted to go to Milford High School. Uh, then there was uh, Edith, who was two years older than uh, Clarence and I, and then there was Clarence, and then, of course, there's Pumpkin, Irwin. Uh, and um, uh, I'm pretty sure that that's all of them. And uh, Any other person? There, there was um, Louis Works, Buddy Works, and I've already said, you know, that uh, Alberta Gogan married uh, Billy Works. They lived uh, between Fred Hall's house and the railroad station in a, a smaller house that was back off the roadways. And uh, as far as I know, there was just two of them. Their folks, oh God, I haven't thought about this for years, came down from Newfoundland. The last name is what? Works. W-O-R-K-S. Come down from Newfoundland. And... Now, I can't remember the whole story. I don't want to say one of them was born in a lifeboat or whatever, but, you know, I mean, uh, th th there was... The stories I remember hearing were about their coming here were... Uh, it was pretty rough passage, whatever it was. You know, it was a tough time. I, I guess that's... Because I don't want to be quoted at saying something that, and that I can't verify, but I, I can remember. Uh, they were just the two boys. And uh, Buddy married a gal. Uh, we both graduated from Norfolk High School, and uh, he lives in Norfolk and um, worked for Hitchener, retired, and uh, I see him every once in a while. And he was, as a child in school, carrot top. He was just as red-headed as you could possibly be, you know. And, uh, you know, sometimes had the temperament that went with it, too, you know. But, um, and then Doris Corey was um, Clarence's cousin. They lived in the next house down toward the center of town, across from Hall's store, uh, just beyond the brook. Um, now, Lawrence Corey Sr. married I can't think of her first name right this minute, but she was a lathe, L-A-T-H-E. And her parents lived um, down near um, you take 130 and then you go down over the hill down towards uh, Pepperell. And um, th there's a house there. Um, Left or right? On the right. And it's got a lot of windows like a sun porch or something. That they uh, lived there. He was overseer of the poor when I was a kid growing up. Um, Lawrence, um, they had three kids. Doris, who was my age, who was the oldest in her family. Lawrence Jr., we called Buddy, who was the same age as my brother. 
and then uh, one, a, a little girl that was a little younger than that uh, whose name was Marilyn. And um, Doris Corey always used to tell me that the first day of school I walked up to her and said, my name's Mabel Violet Durrell, what is yours? And <laughs> I don't remember it, but um, Virginia was uh, her mother's name. My mother and Virginia were friends. And, um, you know, that, that friendship uh, stayed over the years. And um, Doris uh, graduated with us from Milford High School, uh, married, um, can't think of his first name right now, uh, Eggleston, and uh, settled in Denver, Colorado. And um, I don't know where uh, Buddy is. Last time I saw Buddy was at his father's funeral, and um, that was quite a few years ago. And uh, I may have seen Marilyn then, but I don't remember her. Um, there was not that much difference in our ages, but when your kid's growing up, a couple of years is a, a whole lot, you know. And because Doris and I and uh, Buddy and David were, you know, David's my brother, the, the same age, then, you know, that was uh, the closeness. Ermin Gogan came into town when we were in the third grade. Uh, she and I had a very friendly competition uh, because she got good marks the same as I did and uh, we were always, you know, who was going to get the best report card and so forth and it was pretty even, uh, all right straight up through school. And, um, you know, I can't remember who was the valedictorian when we graduated from grammar school, but I was the valedictorian, I mean, who was the salutorian? I was the valedictorian. Uh, that also looks good on your resume, you know, Daniel's Academy Valedictorian. Oh, that's wonderful. And uh, then, um, but um, Ehrman was instrumental in my learning to crochet. Uh, we were both pretty good at the sports that we played at school. We both got good marks, um, you know, and um, I was much taller than she was. And, uh, you know, but we were good friends. It was a friendly competition. And she came into school one day and announced that she had learned to crochet. And I figured, by gosh, if Ehrman was going to crochet, so was I. And I bought to learn how to book, and I taught myself. Oh, uh, <laughs> and uh, ever since, you know, I, I just do it. Um, Let me ask you a jump across okay. the street from, uh, I think it was Clarence Corey's house, the Hall store. Yeah, Lawrence Corey's house, yeah. Lawrence. Yeah, Hall store. Um, yeah, it was A.A. A. Hall remember? Company. Yeah, who, who were they? Uh, Fred Hall and Forrest Hall ran that. Uh, as a child growing up, every Tuesday, Forrest Hall drove all the way out to North Brookline. We were the last house. He would take your grocery order, you know, he went back down through town, filled the orders, and then that afternoon came out and delivered them. Uh, in here, I've got documented all the different salesmen that used to come. Um, and then, um, and Fred Hall was there. Uh, Fred had two daughters. Um, his wife's name was Edna. I have no idea, um, I can't remember what his daughter's names were. Um, I was about six years old and I went to their wedding. It was a double wedding on the lawn there at the house. A.A. Uh, a. Hall Company uh, was a good old-fashioned um, country store. Uh, you could buy pencils, you could buy penny candy, you could buy um, meat, you could buy groceries, um, you could buy a galvanized pail. Um, toilet paper was five cents a roll, uh, and if you wanted the real soft stuff, it was ten cents. Um, uh, well, I can remember the days of the uh, Susan Robert catalog, too. Uh, but um, 
it was a friendly place. I mean, it, they didn't object to us kids. We went in and we'd take our time picking out the penny candy, you know, the uh, candy cigarettes, the root beer barrels, the uh, Mary Janes, the little squirrel uh, things with the nuts in them, and, um, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, molasses. Uh, you you um, sent your gallon jug down and uh, they filled it out of the barrel. Uh, and my mother, I can't remember the woman's name, but my mother used to uh, tell about, um, you know, of course when they drew it, you know, the foam would come up on the top so you wouldn't get quite your gallon filled up to the top. And one of the women in town used to send her kid back afterwards with a cup and she got the other half cup or whatever it was of the molasses. Um, I can't remember what else, but I mean, every, just about anything that uh, you needed in the way of what a general store would carry, uh, you could get there. Do you have any recollection of who lived in the houses across the stream from the store? Okay, yeah. Um, at one time, um, okay, let's go back up to beside what used to be the fire station. Yeah, the ambulance uh, building now, do you know? I know, okay, in any event. Yeah, okay, uh, the, the next house down toward the store from the fire station was uh, Hammond Creighton's. That was when it was a tiny little... Little house, yeah. right. Hammy Creighton was part Negro. Can't remember his wife's name. It'll come to me someday. Uh, she was 14 when she got pregnant with their first kid. And can you remember my mother telling somebody would tell about she was, you know, like at the end of the pregnancy and she'd get the coffin and choking and gagging and they'd say, Oh, you know, poor can't think of her name. Um, you know, what Well, she had heard all these stories about pregnant women being sick to their stomach and so on and so forth when it came time to deliver and she figured that's how she was gonna get the baby up and out. Uh and um, now whether they, they were Creighton men in town that were adults when I was a kid. And um, one of them married Beatrice Wheeler, Margie and Cy Wheeler's daughter. And the child I knew that they had was named Barbara, who was just a little younger than I in school. And every time they had a child, Everybody held their breath because they didn't know what color it was going to be. They were waiting.